All right. Thank you for listening to another episode of Remake Rewind, the podcast where we decide if remakes or reboots should have happened. I'm Mike, as always. With me, I've got my buddy Alex. How are hey. you doing, bud? Hey, I'm good. And do you want to introduce our guest? Yeah. Uh, this week joining us is uh, my friend and fellow filmmaker, BJ Colangelo. And I hope I'm pronouncing that right. As a, I believe I'm a fellow paisan. I'd be embarrassed <laughs> if I got it wrong. I always uh, tell she's everyone a f- that it's a... Uh... A syllable short of being a Ninja Turtle or a Renaissance painter, your choice. <laughs> yeah, Fuck, yeah, that's, good. that's a good way. I'm happy. I didn't. I purposely let Alex introduce you because one, he's your friend, and two, I didn't want to be the one who tried to <laughs> attempt that name. But I would have said it correctly. So I feel, I feel like I shot myself in the foot and didn't give myself. Yeah, you just got yourself an opportunity. You got to build up your confidence little again. by little, and then one of these days you can take on a really complicated name. Right. <laughs> uh, BJ's a filmmaker and um, a writer at Shudder and Autostraddle and uh, also has a podcast with her wife, Harmony. I sure do. Excellent. Doing all the things. Why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about your podcast and your film making career and then uh, we'll get into the topic, but let's uh, get our listeners to know who you are a little bit. Sure. So I've been writing professionally in sort of the horror sphere uh, for the most part for the last oh God, 10 years or so, because I'm finally an adult, which is great. (laughs) Um, So I I write a lot about horror for, you know, if you've ever gone to a website that has ever discussed a horror movie, I've probably written for them at least once. Um, But uh, as was mentioned, I also write for places like Auto Shraddle, sort of dissecting gender and queerness in film and pop culture, because I'm a lady and I'm a queer lady and... It makes my brain tingly and happy to dissect a lot of these things. Um, But I'm also a filmmaker. Uh, I like to make weird films for zero dollars because I just have a (laughs) compulsion to do so. Um, And that's kind of where I'm at with things. And yes, I do the the podcast with my wife. Um, I like to consider myself a champion of dismissed cinema, which is also why I chose (laughs) these titles. I like that. Um, You know, the films that people kind of turn their noses up at, I like to find the merit in. So our podcast is This Ends at Prom, where we analyze media meant or marketed towards teen girls, uh, because I'm an apologist for them, and my wife is transgender, so she missed all of these films that are so important to my upbringing. So we analyze them as, you know, does this actually have staying power or is this something that we only think is good because we have nostalgia glasses for them? Like, I've had enough conversations like, is the Goonies actually good um, for a lifetime? So why not do it right. with films geared towards the other end of the gender I spectrum? I like that. That's Could I, I ask you a question? Because this is some, one of my favorite movies is, um, and this is, has nothing to do with the, the topic that we're covering today. <laughs> but uh, one of my favorite movies of all time is Point Break. Uh-huh. And we, we found a way to shoehorn covering it a second time on this podcast <laughs> by saying that Fast and the Furious was a, a remake of Point Break. But while we were discussing it, uh, Alex brought up that it actually could be a, a queer film. Oh, totally. And that he thinks that... Um, uh, Wow, I totally forgot the director's name. And it's one of my favorite movies. How did that just happen? Don't tell him. I'm not going to. <laughs> oh, no. I'm going to watch the Flounder. <laughs> I, Dead oh, air. God damn it. 
I'm going to get it in a second, but the harder I try to think about it, the more I'm going to I just want you to interrupt mid-sentence when it finally comes to you. It's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. It's going to happen. Um, We're going to talk about Brendan Fraser, and I'll remember. Yeah. So do, do you agree with the Alex's... Uh, Dip, not depiction, but uh, analysis of that movie because I never it never dawned on me that it could be like a queer film and it's you know Keanu and and Swayze were actually into each other. But as soon as he pointed it out, I was just like, I, I started reevaluating a movie that I watched three or four times a year in a completely different light, and it doesn't ruin the movie at all. It enhances the movie, and I was just you know you mentioned that you you write about you know queer. Mm-hmm. Uh, topics in cinema so like has that ever come up or have you ever seen that before? oh totally uh, a lot of movies that deal with very loving bromances point break top gun these types of movies really get the queer read because the way i look at it is the same way historians will write about like famous authors it's like, and she was a spinster who never married but lived with her friend for 40 years. It's like, just say that they're gay. Like, it's okay for them to be gay. Um, right. I mean, and we're, I think we're a lot quicker to give those reads to, you know, film films like Scream and Billy and Stu. They get sort of that queer read. But for whatever reason, we're right. so hesitant to give those reads to action films. Um, I think it's because there's this weird, like, but they're macho and they're masculine. Yeah. And we have a very... Same thing with the Fast and the Furious movies. Yes. Like, like there's this very fixed so idea top, but... of, you know, what queerness is. But yeah, you can definitely give Point Break uh, that sort of a read. But I think that that's a magical film because either you give it the queer read and then it's like, oh, fun. Now we have another queer movie to add to the canon. Or you keep it so that they're straight and now it's like a healthy form of masculinity that we should all aspire right. to achieve. Right. Yeah. We talked about well, how um, uh, Fast and Furious is sort of a spiritual remake or ripoff, depending on your point of view, mm-hmm. um, of Point Break. And yeah, the the magic of Point Break really shines through when you watch a few of the Fast and Furious movies that like get the sort of, uh, they get the, the queer read, but in like a joking way. Oh, yeah. I mean, the whole you know? Fast and Furious franchise is like, you know, we're not friends, we're family. And <laughs> queer people have been existing with chosen families since the dawn of time. So yeah. it's like, if anything, mm-hmm. you're kind of co-opting something we came up with, friends. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And if it feels like you never, I feel like you're never sure if Fast and Furious is aware of what they're doing. Like, I'm sure that... Um, name redacted the director of point break knew exactly what she was doing or had a pretty I know good what it idea is. i was gonna pretend like i didn't figure it out and interrupt later <laughs> I, the first thing that came to my mind was james cameron's wife ex-wife but i didn't want that to be the identifier <laughs> and then like it clicked because i was going back through the academy awards when she beat him the wait same say it that Avatar you haven't said the name it's Catherine Bigelow. yes congratulations and a lot of her movies can be red queer which i think is really interesting so well Without further ado, let's uh, let's get into the uh, the topic. We let you pick the movie. Uh, so what are we going to be talking about, BJ? We are talking about 1967s and the year 2000s, Bedazzled. I was Heck really yeah. happy when you picked these out because I had not too long ago went back and rewatched uh, The Mummy. Mm-hmm. And then uh, yeah. I've also been rewatching Scrubs lately and i just finished the eighth and final season i know there's a ninth season but i'm not going to watch it again um <laughs> and brendan fraser is a reoccurring character on scrubs for the first couple of seasons I didn't and know that. when you decided that i was like oh i really want to watch 
this movie and uh because i i miss the early 2000s late 90s brendan fraser and uh it was really cool going back and watching this and i had never seen the original and i'm not a big dudley moore fan mm-hmm. yeah. um but you know watching this i was really excited to go back and i i i'm just gonna say up top i enjoyed both of these films so i'm really excited to talk about these ones with you guys yeah likewise I can't, All right. well, I I can't say anything different. We need to figure out how we're going to... So, uh, had, had you seen either of these before, BJ, or have you seen them both? Oh, yeah. I've seen both of these. Uh, admittedly, the one from the 2000s more frequently and more recently. Of course. Because this movie falls in a sweet spot that I like to call like my, my homesick movies, where they're ones that whenever I just really need some garbage creature comforts this one (laughs) ends up in the rotation because uh it's one of the like my my mom still has not figured out my taste in films like she knows that i like like absurd comedy in terms of like john waters and a lot of camp but Mm -hmm. she also knew that i was like really big into house on haunted hill 1999 which yeah. had Chris Kattan in it because I was nine when that came out. Hell yeah. But it has Chris Kattan in it. And then Chris Kattan is also in Monkey Bone. And she also knows that I <laughs> another love... Another Brendan Fraser movie. Exactly. Another Brendan Fraser movie. And Encino Man is also one of my sick day movies. I love that I movie. I love it I haven't watched so it in like much. a decade. <laughs> I w- I'm waiting until my wife wants to watch it on our, our uh, other podcast, Ruin My Childhood, which is... Essentially, you know, watching Goonies and saying if it's actually great. Mm-hmm. Like you pointed out, that's it's just a generic nostalgia podcast. But I've been really wanting to watch Encino Man, so I've been holding off. And my wife also has interacted, I don't want to say knows, but interacts with Sean Astin fairly regularly last year um, over some Zoom meetings. So I'm really hoping that we could somehow finagle getting him on. So I'm really holding off on Encino Man. But I'm such an apologist really for it. Encino Man. And I guess like that weird concoction of movies made my mom be like well this has a hot lady devil and brennan fraser of course my 10 year old will enjoy this and she was right (laughs) i enjoy the shit out of it and i'm also one of those people that much like the house on haunted hill if i find out that it's a remake i do go back and track down the source material so i was watching that movie and then as like i don't know maybe like a 14 year old later in life i was like i should probably find what this is based on and i think the thing that surprised me the most is how much the remake pays homage to the original in like really small ways that are very clever um i agree so i i find this to be a really nice back to back um because i think there's a lot of respect in in the remake yeah, we so, usually save the the question of the podcast is should this have been remade? Uh, remade, and we usually save that for the end. But I feel like we can kind of just answer it up front, right? Feels organic. I I thought it like ex- I I can't say it better than than BJ did. Yeah. Like it it yeah, does its own thing. It's when whenever we soapbox at the end there's sometimes where i try to justify the existence of the movie um, but i always say the perfect remake does its own thing but pays homage um to it and i, I think you hit it on the head like this it has a few of the same jokes there are a few lines that are almost line for line the same but even when they do the line for line the same the situation is different like it's very well crafted i mean harold ramis wrote and directed the sequel so yeah uh, i didn't realize that so as soon as i saw his name pop up on the credits uh while i was watching this on voodoo i'm like oh this is gonna be a lot better than i think it's gonna be and uh yeah <laughs> this is a movie that would not have been as good without harold ramis 
I agree. I absolutely agree. So can you, uh, BJ, since you picked the movies, can you uh, pretend that you're uh, pitching the movie to an executive and kind of summarize <laughs> the, the first movie and what you think it should be and, or what it is, but like, just pretend I'm, I'm an executive and you got to get this movie made. All right. So I know that all of us at some point had to read Faust. And I don't know about you. I've always found it to be a little stuffy, a little dry. So here's, here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that we take two of the current 1960s, because that's the time we're in, satirists of British comedy, and we retell Faust in a zany, comedic way. We're going to have this sad sack who's just hopeless, and he's going to sell his soul to the devil for seven wishes, but it is the devil, so you know there's going to be some tricks up there. Magician's cape, we're going to put him in a magician's cape. Let's just address that right now. That's <laughs> yes. the design we're going to go for. And what's going to happen? Will they learn about themselves? Will they make the perfect wish? Who knows? Will yep. there be a scene where one of the characters tries to commit suicide? <laughs> In like one of the funniest possible ways. And that's, I'm allowed to make these jokes because I've tried to kill myself multiple times. But when, it, it, like that scene goes on for so long. And you're like, so it's like, why, why are there so many jokes like this rapid fire? And also, why am I not offended? What yeah. have you done? It's the zaniest suicide I've ever seen on so, screen. Just so you guys know that when the when this got made, um, they'd already shot it, but the studio was like worried about that scene in particular. <laughs> yeah. So um, Tom Cook, who plays the devil or George Spigot is what he goes by in this movie. Uh, for those of you who are a little... I don't want to say younger because this movie's still like thirty-five years old. But he was—he was the uh, priest in in the Princess Bride, Mowage. Um, <laughs> that guy. He um, shop. He was. He wrote and direct, wrote this with with uh, Dudley Moore. Um, they were doing a TV show at the time. This was their first movie, and some of the scenes are ripped directly from sketches from their TV show at the time. Mm-hmm. But uh, he shopped this around and had it go to like a cardinal to see if uh, Cardinal would think it's uh, offensive, kind of like in that scene in uh, uh, Hail Caesar, where they go to all the religious leaders to find out if like, their Jesus allegory movie is going to be offensive. Mm-hmm. But apparently, the, the and it was an archdeacon, d- didn't consider it blasphemous, so they, they let it go. But then they re-rated this movie in 2012 and actually bumped up the rating to the equivalent of a PG-13 from PG because of the suicide scene. So in the 60s, it was de- deemed not offensive. But in, the, in 2005, they changed the standards and said it was a gratuitous suicide depiction. And so they, they well, actually made it a harsher rating. Uh, Jaws was always also a PG when it came out, and it would be like an R now. So Right, because uh, they didn't have PG-13 back yeah. then. Well, I know in the UK so. especially, they have much stricter rules, especially on self-harm and portrayals of yep. suicide to where movies that are for all intents and purposes like very like soft um if there's any sort of indication of like depression and self-harm they've been known to jack movies up to like an x rating yep so yeah this one he was able to convince the archdeacon that this wasn't um a glamorous depiction of suicide is at the time that was what set it aside was if it made it like it was a good thing so um but yeah they they got it the case was dropped they were able to release the movie as is and and it went but uh 
what are what are some highlights of this movie for you guys because god there's so many from just a dialogue standpoint this movie is quick witty sharp well, I, got, I, I, I i got oh, two right off so the good. bat uh bj nailed yeah, one with the cape that's that's top five of this movie for me <laughs> like i i want one and he has there's this scene where he, um he's like oh can you hang that for me somewhere <laughs> just like paying extra attention to highlighting that it's a cape that it's yeah and then as far uh, as dialogue he, he says sloth instead of sloth yeah for the well you know so they she says it that way in, yeah. in the new one too i think that's so i don't know if that's a accent. british thing or i think that is like they say aluminium instead of aluminum well that's uh spelled that's the proper word it's spelled yeah. differently too though it's a different yeah. word yeah uh, those are my two but i mean bj you pointed out how they like had a bunch of suicide jokes like back to back to back mm-hmm. in that short like you know three four minute scene but there, there you go hey you know you realize this is a criminal offense in a less enlightened enlightened time they'd have you hung for it and then like they're struggling to turn off the water on the yes. broken pipe <laughs> like the whole time and then there was there was like a Mussolini joke because Mussolini <laughs> was hung and then shot like it's just a bunch of back to back jokes and yeah this is a little I think if this movie was made today and they had that same scene, I don't know if that same scene could be in a movie today. No, I don't think so. And I think that it only works because I think in part because of who is delivering it and how it's being delivered, because I think it diffuses the situation when it's coming from these two actors who at the time, I think so many people associated immediately with comedy and satire that they're not going to be like, oh, this is a serious message that I'm taking from this. Um, yeah, I think if they're unknown itself. actors or something, it would be a different case. Yeah, for well, sure. Well, they, they were fairly unknown at the time. They Neither of them had been in a movie. Well, but they're, no, on, they're, they're on, on TV, TV. right? They're, they they yeah. were in their first season on TV. Mm-hmm. So they were still fairly newcomers. Um, like, they were still filming their TV show, like, as they were filming this movie. Um, and it was, like, season one. They only did it, the, the first season of the show, or I guess they would call it a series, was in 1967, the same year as the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they had both had, like, background and bit roles in movies, but this is both of their first leading role in a movie. So pretty pretty big deal for this movie to get made by them at that time. Well, especially, um, too, because this one is, um, this one's being directed by you know, Stanley Donan, who is like singing in the rain, <laughs> like, yep. like this huge, <laughs> massive, like influential director is making this movie. So I think that's also going to elevate it to this new sort of caliber level that a lot of first time movies are not going to get. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, so just kind of going through the plot, like I'm just going to expand on it a little bit, kind of rapid fire, go through it. And then we can kind of dissect certain scenes, any scenes that, you know, pop out at you guys, let me know. But, you know, the devil shows up, you know, sees him having an unsuccessful hanging. He tries to hang himself off a pipe. The pipe breaks and water's rushing in. And he's like, Ooh, is this awkward (laughs) kind of thing? Like (laughs) really pointing out that that's kind of a sad thing. And he goes and tells this guy, um, Stanley played by Dudley Moore is the guy who tried to kill himself. And then the devil goes by George. Um, but they talk about, he says he's there to talk about the you know, millions of dollars that his family had. It just goes and talks about how he had all these very successful family members. And then there, his grandfather who blew all the money, and he goes, well, what does that leave me? Penniless and suicidal. Um, and he's just like, the devil makes all these jokes, but he does a really great job at kind of like knocking Stanley down this entire time to kind of sweeten him up to get him to 
essentially sell his soul. He's like, but he explains him. that he's the devil and you know, he's going to give him seven wishes and he goes, you know, seven days of the week, seven daily sins, seven brides for seven grooms, which is another little mm-hmm. silly joke that I like when he's talking about this serious matter. Uh, and it starts with giving him a trial wish, which is to get him a raspberry um, ice lolly. So essentially like a, a, popsicle. a popsicle and he has him go by himself the popsicle which is just a funny way then he ends up taking him to this uh what was the business was it a i don't remember what the business was that was like the front for the devil soul stealing business but what do you guys remember what yeah, it was yeah no it was like a hole in the wall yeah like, recall yeah it's just like there was a little, like mailboxes like and stuff i don't remember what it was like general retail yeah um but then he had one of the sins. So that, like the seven deadly sins, a couple of them pop up in this movie, but anger was there. And he was kind of like the bouncer letting the guy in. But he had a shirt that said, make war, not love. Yeah, I, I want that. that hilarious. <laughs> but yeah, so essentially he signs this, this document and he gets uh, instructions that anytime he wants to make a wish, he just blows a raspberry. Greg will show up <laughs> and uh, do grant the wish. So And with the magical word, um, Julie Andrews, which I found <laughs> hilarious. And then there's a point where later on, I think it's the second or third wish, she tries to change the magic words to Jackie Kennedy and it doesn't work. And he's like, oh man, Julie Andrews. And it works again. I just, it's such a stupid joke. And I found it hilarious. I don't know why I found that particular joke so funny, but I could not get over it every time he said Julie Andrews. At one point he says LBJ and that's how they end up in like, the shithole part of the city, which I thought was very funny. Well, in that same part, he's like, you're not wearing nylon underwear, are you? Because it disintegrates at rapid speeds. <laughs> I think it's just like, what? Because he quicksilvers them. Um, yeah. He rushes them across town. Yeah. Like, it's it's so funny because there's like almost no special effects. It's just a lot of that stuff. Like they just yeah. jump into frame after they're supposed to be teleporting and stuff like that. Yeah. This um, movie is a very low budget. It's got a lot of yeah, like Doctor super. Who like style of timey wimey nonsense, which is fun. Yeah. So the first wish uh, is the one where he just wishes to be more articulate, right? Yes. Yeah. And a millionaire. Yeah. I, so, I have this in my notes, and I I don't remember why I put it, but I I wrote that the first wish is very horny. Oh, because he wishes for Margaret. So the whole thing is like he he wants Margaret to fall in love with him, which is his coworker. So she's like the hostess at the the restaurant he works at, and he's a short order cook, mm-hmm. and he wants her. So the first wish, um, they're spying on on the love interest through a telescope. Um, and he says he wishes to be a multimillionaire and for Margaret to be very physical. Uh, so, no, actually, no, that's no, it was articulate wish, because they were talking, they're at the zoo talking about how like they're animals and mm-hmm. that's humans right. Are and animals, then she, and they should be able to kiss rape. someone if they want to. Yeah. That was weird. And that, that yeah. went that's the one wish that doesn't sit right with me because I understand the joke is like, oh, he's so articulate now that he's now pretentious. And she's kind of like, yes, ending everything that he does. But the way that the wish ends is very um, it not was okay. very abrupt. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, that, I didn't understand that. And like, I feel like she would have under, I don't want to, like, he wasn't trying to rape her. He thought she understood what was right. going on. But she just screams it over and over again. And then he blows the raspberry. That that did take me aback. I didn't really it's- understand what was happening or why because she seemed into it yeah and that sounds really bad to say 
Well, it's one of those things where it's like she's laughing with him and then she's not laughing with him. And I think the abruptness is supposed to be the comedy. And also, like, I don't like putting moral lenses on things from the past because that's just not the world we were living in. But with, you know, newer eyes, um, you look at it and you're like, that joke doesn't land the way that it would have. And it's also... a right. different culture like this movie didn't do well in the u.s when it came mm-hmm. over so I, I you know maybe there's a different cultural thing about the acceptance of that type of joke in that time frame mm-hmm. well they doubled down on the it too. Ol- that's the first of two rape jokes in this movie yeah so that was a little weird the second wish was when he was the horny one too because he specifically says i want to be a multimillionaire. well he's and like i a, want margaret to be very physical that's what like he says sim- jackie kennedy and it doesn't work yeah, he's like a simp in that one. He's like only fansing her. He's just buying her all yeah, sorts of gifts was, and shit. Yeah, this is a very like the the high class British cuckery of <laughs> not being able like it's beyond the realm of acceptance that this would be possible. Like there's no way she could be doing this. And no, you know, that's no. exactly what's happening. <laughs> so the second wish goes awry because she is very physical, but she's physical with, you know, like his friend mm-hmm. or, you know, who's supposed to be for his friend in this world. So like in this world, it seems like you, you always have George Spigot who's around and, you know, may or may not be another character. But then there are other people who are in his life. So he's at this mansion and he's got a bunch of like yes men around him. But like one of the yes men is like very, very physical with Margaret. And there's a point where he walks into the room and you see a little side boob in the mirror and he's just like, oh, my God. And then he blows the raspberry because he's like so upset that she's he's she's with another man mm-hmm. and immediately cancels out the wish. And it's super weird. I don't know. That was another <laughs> weird scene for me, too, that felt a little gratuitous. But it's also British. Like they're much more open to like that kind of thing. Um, they're also like really like cre- like everybody's just watching her in the pool. And like the devil's like, she's got a great body. It's very gratuitous. It was a little weird. And what's funny is I'm saying these things that are really weird, but overall, I really enjoyed the movie. Like, I kind of wanted to rewatch it again last night. I think you're Um, instinctively feeling what BJ just said. It's like, it's from another time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We're forgiving some things, you know? Yeah, we are. It it just feels weird forgiving things in the the 2020, now 2021 woke culture. Like, it feels weird to acknowledge that it's a different time. I think it's yeah. less about right. forgiving and more about being able to hold two truths simultaneously. Of, right. You yeah, know, this that's, is, that's a much better way to say yeah, it. Yeah, this is a very entertaining and, quite frankly, ridiculous piece of comedy. And some elements have aged horrendously. Like, both of those things are true. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Correct. I think so, a lot of this stuff, too, is not, like, um, openly mean-spirited as well. No, yeah. I don't so think it's, it's, it's mean-spirited sit with it. or malicious at all. Like, it is just meant to be farce from beginning to end and yeah. it's you know there's there's obviously a satire through line like pre very early kind of being anti-consumerism anti-capitalism in the 60s which i thought was pretty interesting and that really comes to a head at the end of the movie when like god comes into play mm-hmm. uh which in this version god is a uh upper crust english gentleman is what uh george spigot describes him as which i thought was pretty funny um, the rest of the wishes kind of like jump around like they they don't tend to be as long so like the next one he like they end up going to the devil's house and Raquel Welch is randomly there for yeah. like yeah, three minutes lust. and she plays <laughs> yeah. lust that helps and, uh, apparently she, she was in every poster every ad all the marketing 
They yeah. used her for everything. That's what and I'm saying. They thought it was funny. They did it as a joke. Um, I mean, it's a joke, but also that got people into the theater. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it did. Um, but he, at that point, they wish to be. Uh, he wishes to be a pop star, and he sings like one song, and it's like the Beatles <laughs> on a. Uh, whatever show they were on in the 60s that was a big deal when they when they came to america but it was like you know black and white and yeah. then george spigot goes on and he plays a set and like all of a sudden he's not he's not famous anymore so he cancels the wish that one's kind of fucked up like the devil i mean the devil is the devil and i shouldn't say that he's being unfair but he really like interfered with that one yeah he's like super did but he, he he shows up in the other ones too which is a little weird so the next one he just mistakes mistakenly says he wishes he was a fly on the wall and then it's like animated for a little bit <laughs> yeah. i did i did want to say um the the band that george spigot does uh, it's called drimble wedge and the vegetation and it's fucking awesome <laughs> i think I that one also has a really like really good commentary on how fickle fandoms are because yeah. it, it the you know the devil is not just interfering because like oh now I'm the new hotness but it's also a completely sh- like a complete shift in tone and genre and type of music because it went from being like oh my god love me love me to him just being like I don't want any attention I don't care, I don't care. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think yeah. that that's amazing that's that is great a satire yeah. yeah it really is like it's 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 pretty subtle at certain points, and then it's like really heavy-handed there. And then at mm-hmm. the very end of the movie, when they're wrapping up the movie, the next wish is he's tried is the first wish where he starts to try to be a little bit more careful, where he starts to realize this is where he realizes the devil's kind of fucking with him, and he needs to be smart about his wish. So he says like, "I wish that Margaret and I are madly in love, and she's cooking anniversary dinner." And then the twist is they're both married to other people, <laughs> and they're unable to consummate it because they feel so bad about it. So they're like, make it out in the car and they both just start crying. It's, it's <laughs> that's my favorite of all of the failed wishes because I think so too. The juxtaposition of them, like just manhandling each other while crying is so funny. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. stupid. <laughs> and then the next one was, um, him he wishes they were both mutually in love. They're both single and available. And there are no other men in her life. And then they both end up as nuns. And <laughs> this one's interesting that because one's the, he's absurd. supposed to be a woman in it. And she admits that she loves him or her. Uh, he's called his sister. But there's like this weird like trampoline montage. Well, which... they're like, they're not Catholic nuns, right? They're like a made up religion. I think so. Because part of, like that was a, a church ritual that they were jumping on the trampolines. And it was like a five minute, like it was very long jumping around. On they're all just, they're leaping in unison with them. And so, one of them does a flip. <laughs> this one is an extension of a sketch from their show. Yeah. Um, which I don't know what it is with just leaping nuns or just the, tr- it's pretty funny. The trampoline <laughs> thing in general, because my brain immediately was like, is this where the man show got idea? Like for the trampolines? <laughs> like, why is I this a thing? This... But I'm not upset about it. Did this predate the flying nun with Sally Field? Oh, I'm not sure. I don't know. That's I need to look that yeah, up. That's a good, a good thought there. There's... I wonder if like that's that, that'd be really funny if the flying nun came from, from this. <laughs> Let's see. There's a Flying poster. Was in the 1967, end. the same year. Oh, that's and great. it came out in September. It's possible. It's 
it's downright plausible. I think we <laughs> cracked this thing wide open. <laughs> Flying Nun ripped off Bedazzled. Scandal. And then, so that was that was the the last wish, kind of. I, so that was like I wanted to point out in the in the church they're in. There's a poster that says "Big Sisters Watching You." <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, I love that. So they, he keeps blowing a raspberry. Like immediately when he realizes he's a nun, he blows the raspberry. And he keeps blowing the raspberry and all the nuns are looking at him like he's crazy. And then he finally finds George and George, he's like, dude, what the hell? And he goes, that was your seventh wish. And he counted the, the, uh, the, lo- the, the popsicle at the beginning of the movie. And he's kind of like, that's not fair. And he's like, dude, I'm the fucking devil. Come on, man. <laughs> like it's in the contract. So the whole reason that the devil's doing this besides being the devil is that and this number doesn't make sense, but it was supposed to be the first person to get to um, 10 billion souls. Um, if he beat God by getting 10 billion souls, then he would get to become an angel again. And so this movie kind of ends with he goes up to um, Stanley. He's like, you know what? Like, I have a few extra souls. You're a cool dude. You've been friends with me. Uh, I'll give you your soul back. So he goes to God and is like, hey, man, let me back up to heaven. God's like, nah, brah, you're done. <laughs> and... So then it ends with Stanley's a little bit more confident. He goes and asks out Margaret and she agrees to go out with him at a later date. And the devil attempts to, you know, lure him back in. And it's like, he's like, no, I'm good. Like, I've got a date with the girl I like. I don't need to sell my soul again. And uh, yeah, that's kind of how it ends. But it's a, it was a, the God laugh is very big, scary. Yeah. And then he has this like big monologue where he's like, if that's what you want, well, then I'm going to, you know, build more freeways and build more roads and sell more advertising. And we're going to, you know, go through consumerism. And he just kind of goes on like an anti-capitalism rant, which I thought was pretty interesting in the sixties. Like that's, I mean, pre even American consumerism at its peak. Yeah. And a lot of his like gimmicky in between wish, like, uh, I, I don't know what to call it. Just, he's being a pest like interludes yeah the interludes like like just his rambunctious behavior is also very rooted in anti-capitalism where he's like scratching all of the records or cutting off like mm-hmm. a single button on the shirt uh you know ripping yep. pages like the last page out of a book so the things that he's doing they're not he was also doing something underwater sabotaging something what was he sabotaging when they were all in the scuba gear oh, i don't remember i don't know that's right i couldn't figure out he had like a like a he had like a like an arc welder kind of thing, and he was like cutting some pipes or something like underwater. Yeah, I wasn't. Sh- I mean, I guess he was going to sink the ship, right? Yeah, I wasn't. Sh- I guess super I clear on on that one, but I also just I like that he's not being so destructive. He's just being extremely inconvenient. Yeah, <laughs> which he's like early stages Project Mayhem. Yeah. Yeah. There's this meme that goes around every couple of years, and like various groups that I'm in, and it'll be like. You're a robber and you break in, but you only steal things that mildly inconvenience somebody. So, you know, the example will be like you steal one shoe <laughs> kind of thing or you uh, you take out one shoelace or stuff like that. And it's kind of like that level of mayhem yeah. that he does. It's just like things that are mildly inconvenient for people. It's mischief. Same thing. Like he has a, he trains a pigeon to to poop on people oh, yeah. and he calls it the Buddha. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's it's, you know, just a little silly nonsense. But like. This movie, I'm not a big Dudley Moore fan. Like, I've only seen, like, Arthur, uh, and I didn't like that movie when I saw it 10 years ago, so I'm probably not being fair. But uh, Cook, like, just was amazing in this movie. 
uh, like he was just the all of his line delivery. I was just enamored by this movie the entire time because of the character George Spigot and how all of his lines were rapid fire and so charismatic. I, I, I loved him in that role. I think that he's so commanding because even in the, you know, the, the nunnery, I guess, where he's not even doing that much talking, there's so much being said with just the way that he carries his facial expressions. I, yeah, I, he's definitely the shining star in, in this piece. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Agreed. All right. So we all watched on the daily motion app, by the way. Right. Yeah. So unfortunately this movie can't be found like anywhere. The only place I could find it, I found like one website where you could pay to rent it, but I'd never heard of it before. So I didn't want to risk putting like my credit card or anything on there. But we did find it this, you know, every time we can watch a movie legally, we always pay to rent the movies um, or we stream them on places that are streaming them for free. Uh, but this is one of the rare examples where we could not find the movie, so we did watch it on Daily Motion, and it's it's not the best image quality, but you know, I it got, was I understood the movie. Well, it was funny. I didn't mean to point out that we sort of watched it illegally, but <laughs> I don't think we had a choice for this one. Um, but it was like stretched and like 480p or something, and I kind of yeah. I got used to it. Like it wasn't mm-hmm. the end of the world, and it's an engaging movie, so it was fine. But I just wanted to say I uh, was looking around on YouTube afterwards, and I found a few like clips from the movie. And whatever the clips are from was like a great transfer. And I was like, fuck, this is actually a good looking movie. And we watched this like goofy stretched out thing. We watched it in a way that like Christopher Nolan would be very disappointed in us. (laughs) I watched it on the (laughs) toilet on my iPhone. (laughs) But it it was a fun movie. Like I was very annoyed by like the quality initially, but like I I completely was engaged in the movie once the the dialogue just started snapping along. Oh, I I also thought the... um, I don't mean to uh, have sandwiched uh, shitty takes. Um, the the opening credits, like the music that they played over it, was very like, oh, I'm going to watch a thriller now. It's this is like so a heist intense. movie. I hated them. Yeah. It, I got a headache watching it. It's really it was really incongruent. Like, yeah, it was super weird. I don't understand what it had to do with any of the movie, but it's. Uh, I was happy to get out of the credits. I, I was very yeah. unhappy initially. I thought it was going to be terrible with those I was, opening credits because I got a headache. Yeah, I was a little bummed out with the credits, but. <laughs> Definitely pulled. Yeah, it was just like a cacophony of noise and like just really bright flashing lights. Like if some if you're somebody who's prone to seizures, like (laughs) maybe fast forward to it. It was like it was it was like the uh, the scene in uh, Willy Wonka going through the tunnel. It was like (laughs) that level of just like sensory overload. Yeah. Um, But it's just the opening credits. Everything else is easy to watch in this movie. Uh, So before we get to the next movie, guys, uh, what have you guys been up to, buds? (laughs) <laughs> bj why don't you go oh goodness um i've been making my way through a lot of series uh, that i've i've seen before um and then some that i haven't so i'm finishing up letter kenny because i waited far too long yes. to letter kenny i just restarted watching it yesterday i mean i still have not started i just I want so to like things. personally fist fight whoever was like oh it's a lot like trailer park boys because that's why i avoided it for so many years no it's, and it's so good it's so good it's so so good um all right i'll watch it but i've been doing a lot of um adult animation and one children's animation for something that I've been writing about over at uh, whattowatch.com. So I did King of the Hill. Um, I did Central Park. Yeah. Um, what else? Great North. 
close enough. Um, and then the one that really kind of blew me away, which was not adult animation. Um, I, w- I watched all of Craig of the Creek, which is meant for children. And I never even heard of that. Craig of the yeah. Creek is a children's cartoon on uh, Cartoon Network that is the most inclusive uh, cartoon I've ever seen. It's set in reality, um, incredible voice cast, but it deals, it's very, I I think like Hey Arnold is probably the closest I could compare it to, where you're dealing with children who have built kind of their own societies, but the humor is... (laughs) unbelievable like there's the huh. the elders of the creek which are like 19 year old kids who play dungeons and dragon and magic um and <laughs> it's just it's so smart like incredibly smart it does not talk down to children um terry cruz is the the lead character's oh. dad and it's it's central to to a black family and they're not afraid to like talk about how sometimes like shit can suck if you're a marginalized kid um but it's never like a very special episode like they don't do that it's just part of it um yeah somebody recommended it to me because uh georgia hardstark and karen kilgariff of my favorite murder voice um teenage lesbian goth girls that all of the kids in the creek are convinced are witches um because that's so funny because they had tarot cards and like all of the like the teens or the adults they they live in kayfabe for these kids like they never like correct them and be like you know that that's not real right like that shit doesn't exist so these kids are just like we built a time machine out of a cardboard box and they're like you sure did kids which is just <laughs> great um that's awesome yeah blew me away oh wow yeah I'm, I'm looking at it online right now i the animation looks great it looks like a lot of fun it's super um, fun and it really that sounds great it really embraces I think a lot of the creativity that many of us grew up with, like there's a character who is very much inspired by like the magical girl animes. So she's very Sailor Moon in her appearance. There are like the, there are like little subcultures of kids. Like the ninja kids are all like super anime kids. There's uh, the, the 10 speeds as they call them are kids that like are really into like BMX bikes. There's horse girls that are just girls that think that they're horses and like, it kind of sounds like recess also. Yeah. Like there's a lot of these elements to it and they definitely, pay homage to a lot of these these older cartoons but then presented in a way that i think is really accessible to kids who have grown up always having the internet that's awesome yeah so those have been like my big the, things <laughs> i was i'm just looking at the wikipedia for it right now and the composer is a guy named jeff rosenstock yes it is jeff rosenstock He's music fucking awesome there's so many yeah. good, like good like giant ska numbers <laughs> it just makes me so happy yeah that is that's is super cool um jeff rosenstock was a, a punk musician in a bomb the music industry like mm-hmm. yeah new york punk collective yeah and, one of my uh, wife's favorite i just have musicians. one of his yeah yeah i have one of his solo records and it's fucking incredible cool all right bud what are, yeah what are thanks you for turning to, us on to that i'm gonna check that out you're welcome um, I'll go next. Uh, I watched, <laughs> it's like not nearly as cool as VJ's. I watched, uh, the two Matthew Lillard Scooby-Doo movies. Hell yeah. I love those movies. <laughs> they are not good, but they're really fun. They, I mean, uh, um, I must say Sean. So Dyer, they are good because the they're fun. James Gunn wrote those movies. Yeah, he did. 
Yeah, I I find those movies very fun, and no I had one is a, a better Shaggy than Matthew Lillard. Like that was perfect. well, and that's why I, I even though he's thirty to watch. Yeah, I've refused to watch that Scoob movie that came out last year. But Will Forte he, does a voice for that. I'll, I'll watch anything that Will Forte. Yeah, but he in. the the issue that I the way I take umbrage with the film is umbrage. Matthew Lillard did the two movies, but he's been voicing Shaggy off and on like for years now. Right, until and he Scoob. didn't even like he found out via Twitter. That yeah. it was going to Will Forte. They never even called him about that. That does suck. Which is so, like, such he, an insult. He deserves at least a heads up. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen the video um, of him at uh, the convention? It's like a horror convention. And there's this little girl who is clearly not okay being at this horror convention with her parents. And ugh. I think Matthew Lillard was there for Scream. And he's seeing this girl freak out. And he looks at the parents. And 13 Ghosts. Yeah, he looks at the parents and he's like, she likes Scooby-Doo. They're like, yeah. And then he just, drop of a hat, clicks on the shaggy voice. And this girl is like, suddenly everything's perfect. And I love the world. This convention's great. And that is one of my go-tos. Like, I need to cry in a good way. So I'm (laughs) going to watch Matthew Lillard make a child's life. He seems like such a good guy. Yeah, on social media, he seems good. Like, one of my favorite tweets that I've seen in the last year or so is somebody tweeted because of like an facial expression trump made they're like matthew lillard should sh- totally play trump and then he like quote tweeted it and he goes first off how dare you secondly i am available though <laughs> and I, that was fucking great he was in um was a big little lies when he was one of the husbands he was in some He's, dramatic uh cable tv show and he was fantastic he was in yeah. um in the girls. last season or no the second to last season of a uh, halt and catch fire yeah, that's neither one of those are the thing that I'm talking about, but I'm glad that he's yeah. in a bunch of dramatic stuff. He's married stuff. to Christina Hendricks on Good Girls, and it is amazing. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. I've been wanting to watch that show. I've heard it's really it's good. It's wild. It's fun. It's in my Netflix queue. Okay. I'm I like a, Mae Whitman. She normally puts in a yeah. good performance, so if she's in it, I figure it's probably halfway decent. Yeah. Um, I'm looking through the rest of my movies from the last week, and I, I, I didn't realize that I've been watching all stoner movies. So there's those <laughs> nice. two, uh, Tenacious D and The Pick of Destiny. I hate that movie. It's Love so Tenacious D. Hate that movie. It's fun. I like it. It's, again, not a good movie, but a whole lot of fun, which makes it good. <laughs> um, and then a couple nights ago, I watched uh, Jay, and Silent Bob, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. You watched that not that long ago. I know. It's like, I guess it's a comfort movie for me. I listen to a lot of, um, I've been listening to a lot of Kevin Smith's uh, Fat Man Beyond podcasts. Um, cause I'm just like inhaling WandaVision theories for the past <laughs> month and right. they talk about it for like an hour at a time. Um, nice. so I think I just kind of had Kevin Smith, you know, in the back of my mind and I needed something silly. I started watching clerks last week and then like my internet crapped out like five minutes into the movie and I didn't go back to it. I've been wanting to watch clerks too. And even more so dogma, which is not available anywhere. Huh? Yeah. Clerks it's two really is fantastic. I love that movie. Which one? Clerks 2. Yeah. So good. Um, I'm really bummed that Dogma is not available anywhere because I think that's a really That's surprising. Movie. I think it's I know, super it, funny. Yeah. I, a I bunch of up, his movies are on HBO Max. I'm surprised Dogma isn't one of them. I looked it up and there's like a, uh, a rights issue specific to Dogma. Oh, I think weird. the Weinsteins are, are involved. Damn Weinsteins. God damn it, Harvey. Yeah, that's like low on the list of offenses. Oh, yeah, that's like <laughs> the on, lowest man. thing on priority, but I could still be upset about it. He's in jail right now. Like, I could be mad about this. Yeah, fuck that guy. Yeah. Any, oh, you know what I ones? didn't watch? What didn't you watch? Oh, actually, maybe we don't want to harp on this. You can cut this out if you want to, but I saw the Woody Allen documentary 
uh, go up, and I was like, I don't need to see that. I get it, man. Dude, look, I I don't Fuck understand why a doc like granted. I'm glad that it exists. Some like people be, don't know. Yeah, there's some. But I, I, don't I feel like it's pretty. It. There's some wild. I feel like it's pretty common knowledge. That's like like yeah. very upsetting to watch. Yeah. I don't. I watch the I don't need to watch it. I, I know he's a a, a monster. Yeah, like he's he's a terrible human being, and I think that we've all established that. But like rewatching just a lot of children, like 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 watching Dylan Farrow <sighs> talk about things or watching these like sixteen year olds talk about things, I'm like, I don't want this in my life. Yeah. No, oh, yeah. sorry, I didn't mean Ugh. to bring the mood down. Oh, all right. <laughs> well, I'll I'll just shotgun some of the stuff that I watched really quick. Um, so PlayStation Network had some games for free and massively on sale. So I uh, I got Control for free, and uh, it's an unforgiving game. There's not a lot of tutorial, and uh, it it's fun for about an hour or two, but then it's very samey. So I stopped playing that. Wow, my cat figured out how to open the door. Good for her. Um, <laughs> Clever girl. I, Resident Evil, the Resident Evil Three remake, it was half off last week. Oh, so cool. I, start, I started playing that like the night before last, and. I'm not like I don't get freaked out by movies, but for some reason, like scary video games actually really do. Like, that's no, that's a thing. Me. That's a real thing because there's no safe distance because you're interacting with it on a one to one. I cannot yeah. play horror video games, nor can I go into haunted houses because I overproduce adrenaline and I will either throw up or throw a punch. And I can't be trusted <laughs> in either situation. So I'll watch Let's Players on YouTube play horror games and then cry a little bit. Um, but yeah, I can't do it. And I've tried. I'll get like three steps and I'm like, nope, like controller down. Can't do it. Yeah, it, it. There's a lot of like the Resident Evil 3 remake is way less scary than Resident Evil 2 because Resident Evil 2 remake that came out like last year or the year before is much slower paced mm-hmm. and like. You're being stalked by a giant monster the entire game. Yeah, I'm not. And so, like, at any point, God, come up. the sound of but those Resident feet Evil Three is haunt my life. Yeah, but Resident <laughs> Evil Three is more action heavy, and so it's just like jump scares. Like mm-hmm. periodically, a zombie will just like pop out of something, and there's no way you can avoid it. And it's like I hate that. But uh, the game's fun. And then in terms of like what I've watched, I finished my Scrubs rewatch, not counting the ninth season when they try to reboot it because it's garbage. Um, but I finished that. <laughs> I uh, restarted watching Letterkenny yesterday. I already watched the first season in the last day or so. Um, we watched uh, Bridgerton, the entire series Bridgerton, my wife uh, and I, because she uh, was on bed rest the last like week and a half or so. Yeah, so. Who, who is the lead in Bridgerton? They're all fairly unknown, at least really? in America. They're all the, like up-and-comers in England. I kept on seeing pictures of uh, the, the redhead, I guess the main lead. Yeah, she's Daphne Bridgerton. Okay, I kept on thinking it was Sophie Turner, and I was like, "Is that?" She there are times where she really looks like Sophie Turner. What I think she looks actually, my wife Katrina, she pointed it out, and I couldn't unsee it after she pointed it out. She looks exactly like the animated version of um, Wendy in the Disney Peter Pan. Like it's uncanny <laughs> once you start watching it. You're just like, there's so many points where she just looks like a cartoon character. Um, I mean, it's 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 not a good TV show. Like visually, it is one of the most beautiful TV shows I've ever seen. Uh, like it's in 4k it's in hdr and dolby vision and whatnot like it's a beautiful show but it is it's it's gossip girl set in like the seven i think it's 1805 so it's like 1805 gossip girl like that is the premise of the show like there's a um like a self-published newspaper and it's like a gossip column and people can just read into it but yeah it's it's just like victorian gossip girl cool and uh and then uh my wife had never seen face off before And uh, 
I convinced her to watch Face Off this week, and it was really yeah. fun to go back and watch that movie. What a great yeah. choice. Yeah. So, yeah, that's pretty much everything we watched, I think. Good, good enough to get through this segment and on to the next movie. Yeah. Let's do it. Alex, pitch, pitch the movie, man. Oh, boy. Hold on, I have to, like, kind of reset for this. I was thinking about Bridgerton. Um, uh, so you remember uh, that movie from 1968 with Dudley Moore and Peter Cook? 67? 67. The answer is supposed to be no. Cause Get out of my elevator. You're a movie exec in the 2000s. <laughs> um, we're going to redo that with The Mummy, the literal hottest woman on the planet right now, and it's going to be directed by a Ghostbuster. So we're basically oh, going to print cash. That's Fortunately, I didn't print cash, but you know, it 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 doubled its budget by the time you've kept her in like marketing. Like, I'm sure it made a profit, but not not a huge one. Well, I but, think that the pitch was that it's going to print cash. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's everything you said was accurate. <laughs> yeah, no, this is like um, we this kind of talked about Brendan in the beginning. Fraser. This is what's up? This is peak Brendan Fraser, peak Elizabeth. I think uh, so, right? Hurley? Yeah, yeah. I think this is 2000. It's a year it's after peak the month. Hurley. Yeah, it's a two years after uh, um, Austin Powers, so it's like yeah. peak her in America. Yeah. Um, no, I mean this is like a pretty. Uh, we were talking about in the beginning that it, it's it's a it's the best type of remake that you could hope for. This is something that takes the spirit of the original and combines it with uh, you know a contemporary setting, and I think everything that comes with that contemporary mindset. Um, it improves on uh, the look and the special effects and the promise of the first one that it maybe didn't have the budget or the you know, technology or whatever for. Um, and it manages to do it without being, you know, a shot for shot remake. It manages to be relevant to the time that it's set in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the other thing that kind of dates this movie, Orlando Jones, this came out in the era yeah. where like, yeah. Orlando Jones was in. <laughs> every movie he had such a good agent for like two years yeah because he was in this the replacements he obviously had to make seven up yours commercial he was in that movie with david duchovny with the alien evolution yeah yeah evolution yeah like he was just everything for a while uh he was in uh that time machine movie that came out a year after this one and he was like the ai kind of guide throughout the the future like he was working it's so much at the time yeah it's crazy that it feels so dated because of the presence of an actor like that guy <laughs> yeah. really just had a spike for a few years and then was gone. Yeah. Even well, more so than still like, around. like I still see him in things, but it's like not as big of a deal, but like he was a sell, like he was a get for a little bit. Yeah. He was on mad TV, right? I don't know what he, I, to me, he appeared with the make seven up yours. That's the first time I ever saw him. Hmm. I think he's doing some voice acting these days. Oh, I'm which sure. I feel like, Good for him. You know, a lot of people do that once they stop being relevant. <laughs> Yeah. Which is a shame. But some of like the the actors who do that, like like Keith David, you know, he kind of peaked in the the late eighties, early nineties. And he's like he's still consistently in things, but he was, you know, Goliath and Gargoyles. Like he has done so much voice acting, he's prolific. Um he God, to be on I, community for uh, a year or two. What was that? He was he on community for a year or two. I can't remember if he did Yeah, the yeah, season. oh yeah, community. Yeah, he did like the, the he did this the Yahoo season. Yeah. The sixth season. Um, I can't think of his name. No he way. plays, uh, he's in, uh, Highlander. He plays Kurgan, the bad guy. He, he lives near me. I saw him at the grocery store recently, but he, same thing. Like he was huge in the eighties, Clancy Brown. Uh, 
huge in the eighties, and but he's he's voiced everybody. He's been Batman, you know, as a voice actor. He's he's done like of his like he's got like three hundred acting credits on IMDb, and most of them are voice acting at this point. So yeah. voice acting is a good place to go, like, especially like during quarantine. Yeah, man. Still um, at home. So this movie, I mean, the plot is the same plot as the mm-hmm. other movie. It's just contemporary. Um, and the wishes are, essentially the wishes are mostly the same too, just twisted with a contemporary kind of thing. There's a few added, but uh, what are what are some highlights for the for you guys on this movie? For me, BJ, I love the character of Elliot so much more because, so I did something that I just needed to know. Um, looking at reviews of the original and reviews of uh of this remake by people who would have been around. So like Roger Ebert was one of them. And it's really interesting to me how many people, um, because they're, they're male critics really empathize with like our OG guy and can't stand Elliot. Whereas I'm the complete opposite. Like in the OG bedazzled, I'm just like, you're like, I have no patience for you. Like, Oh, a girl doesn't like you. And now you're suicidal. Grow up. Whereas Elliot, I see. He loved yeah. her for six years, yeah. too. It was so like, long. Like, and then I look at Elliot where I'm like, oh, you are trying so hard to be, like, yeah. liked and cool, and it's just not working for you. And that makes me feel a little bit more empathy towards this And character. he's just a good, yeah, he's just a good person. Yeah, he's just kind of a goober. Like, he's really trying, and it's just like, not he's working. He's probably on the spectrum a little bit, and he just doesn't realize. Like, he really doesn't understand until the end of the movie that people don't like him and are making fun of him. Yeah, it's um, it, he's it's, just kind of human cringe, like, because he even has those yeah. moments where he's talking to Orlando Jones in the office, and he's like, oh, my man, my brother. And I'm just like, oh, God. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, you just want to, like, yeah. grab him and shake him and be like, yeah. no, like, please stop doing this. But no one's ever told him, like, this is not how you function in, in society. Yeah. yeah, I feel like he was probably, like, a homeschool kid. Yes. Maybe he's, maybe on the spectrum a little bit, like very, very high functioning. He's the extension just, of his yeah, character from Blast from the Past. <laughs> like <laughs> he just doesn't get it. Um, so that like that's a change that I think is really, really strong. But Brennan Fraser is just such a chameleon in this movie because he's he is. coming to every yeah. one of these just absolutely absurd characters. He essentially plays eight characters, yeah, you know, or six, seven characters across all the wishes. And he's being well. His so his Elliot is completely different at the end too, so it isn't yeah. another character. Yeah, and yeah. he's just bringing such sincerity to it. He like none of them are like he's not phoning any of these in. And I think that yeah. the other big strength that this movie has is that the cast of characters also change within the wishes, like right. which I think is so much smarter and makes more sense to me than you know george spigot randomly showing up in some of the wishes like is it supposed to be george is it supposed to be the devil it's never really clear in the original yeah whereas in this one it's like okay yes this is like watching an improv show and they're switching characters i i know what's going on now yeah i i both liked and didn't like that because and I was going to kind of save this towards the end, but maybe I'll, I'll kind of tee it up and so you guys can kind of think about it and we can come back to it at the end. Um, but to me, I didn't really understand like how the wishes actually worked because in both in this version, instead of blowing a raspberry, um, he has a beeper and he pages 666 and then he's taken out of the wish. 
And there's a point in this one where they reference like, you need to use your last wish. There's an expiration date on it. And what I didn't understand is like, well, what if he was mostly happy on his first wish? Now, granted, she was going out of her way to make them bad because she's the devil. But like, what if you just wanted to amend your wish and add something and use a second wish without canceling out? the entire yeah. wish like it doesn't seem like it's not like you're actually getting seven wishes it's like you're getting seven attempts at one wish my yeah my main like uh i call it a gripe but it didn't really it didn't kill the movie for me but i kept um uh what's the industry term pinging on this one thing <laughs> um he would make a wish and like uh i think the the best life that he wished for uh, was the gay guy? Mm-hmm. I like, think so. He too. was rich, incredibly smart. Everybody hung loved like him. a fucking horse. Like, there's nothing bad about that except the girl that he wanted. But in that uh, character, he was also gay. Like, he wasn't even interested in her. So, like, just live in that. Or right. he was a famous basketball player. Why not go back to that wish? Why not be like, okay, cancel that wish, do the exact same thing. I want to be a little bit smarter and have like a normal sized dick. Then let's do that. You know, right. like, why not just a there was no wish? Fine tuning. It's just like all or nothing. Yeah. Or even live in one of these things for a while. Cause it seemed like he could do the pager and then right. um go right back to you know well, when that he was made the wish or whatever. Like the, I would want to be a basketball player for a little bit. Fuck having a tiny yeah. dick. Like I well, want to And be then the other issue that I kind of had along the same lines was because all his cast of care, all of his coworkers were coworkers or friends or colleagues in each of his in, or even rivals in some of the wishes. Um, but he was really into Allison was the name of the woman he was in love with in this one. And I like at the end of the movie, the realization he has about Allison at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this, like each wish, he was a completely different person. It wasn't, I'm Elliot and I we're just together. It's like, well, no, I'm a Colombian drug lord or I'm a foot, you know, I'm a basketball player or I'm this, you know, writer, but all aspects of his life changes. Like Allison, when he's the basketball player, Allison is a reporter when, you know, kind of thing like that. Yeah. And, they're kind of playing fast and loose with those. Yeah. Yeah. Like none of them are the same characters. So it's like, well now granted, I think at the end of the movie, it kind of makes sense. So essentially the end of the movie is he realizes one, like all these people who he works with are not nice to him and he needs to stand up for himself. And he does. Well, I have opinions about that. I have a couple too <laughs> on that and we'll get to it. And then the other thing is he realizes he goes downstairs and he talks to Allison because he's a little bit more confident and he's like, you know what? I realize we, you know, worked together for four years. We bumped into each other a couple of times, but I really don't know you. Let's get a cup of coffee. Kind he of thing. And I think, I think that's kind of the message of the whole movie is like he built up that he put this woman on a pedestal that he doesn't really yeah. know. Mm-hmm. So I guess it, she can be interchangeable in each wish because he doesn't actually know anything about her. So it's not really bad that she's not her. But in reality, I, each wish, it's a different person. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also like faster loose on what he remembers because he remembers he has the wishes and he seems to have all of his memories from, I guess you can call him like Elliot Prime. <laughs> um, but then he also remembers random stuff like when he's articulate and he's rich and he's gay he has all that knowledge and he remembers writing his books and he remembers all the places that he lives and his publishers and then when he's he's jumping around the multiverse right and then when he lives when he's the colombian drug lord he doesn't seem to know anything until he speaks spanish he's like oh i do speak spanish but then he sees that version of allison with raul and he remembers to go oh raul's been teaching her spanish for six years yeah kind of thing and he's good like it's weird like he doesn't remember things and i think that would be like a terrible life to live to be like 
kind of self-aware transplanted <laughs> in this life and not know anything about this life that you're in. But then he kind of has some knowledge of the life that he's in. Well, I think this movie is sort of approached as like, um, as like a fable or something. It's like a, a morality tale mm-hmm. where like, yeah, it's kind of like quantum to, leap. Yeah. You're supposed to worry much more about the moral of the story and what right. Elliot learns from all this and not like the plausibility or like how, how he's zipping around in yeah. the multiverse and getting to this and that. I keep, sorry, I keep on like referencing WandaVision and pulling back a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I also think that's but, just uh, a very American thing for us to do. Whereas I think when it comes to other cultures, they'll present something and they're like, this is just it, what it is. And we all just go, aha, yes, yeah. I accept this. We're in America. We're like, we need to figure out the logic of what's happening yeah. here. Well, there's there's actually something interesting from the first movie that I looked up that ties into this a little bit. Um there's the story of the uh, the tiger and the cliff. Do you guys remember that from the first movie? So it's a real. Um, I'm not going to get it right. You know, it's a Buddhist uh, Zen story. Oh yeah, I remember what it was. So yeah. the basis of the ba- basically the story is like this guy's being chased through the woods by a tiger, and he uh, j- jumps off a cliff, but holds onto the edge of the cliff so the tiger can't get to him. And down below, he sees that there's another tiger pacing below him. So he's surrounded by these two tigers. And as he's trying to figure out what to do in this situation, he sees um, there's a mouse that starts chewing on a vine that's going to make him fall. And then he sees a patch of fresh strawberries growing out of the cliff. So he reaches over and eats one of the strawberries. And that's it. Yeah. And I think that's like the American way to look at that story is like, well, what happens to the guy? Does he fall? Mm -hmm. Does he climb up? What happens with the mouse? Why is there a strawberry? Blah, 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 blah. And the point of the story is like, just enjoy what you can in the situation that you're Mm in. Well, and that completely goes over Stanley in that version. He's just like, well, I would never put myself in a situation where I'd be around two tigers (laughs) completely (laughs) missing the point of the, uh, the story. Um, so highlights for you guys on this one, because uh, we're we're about an hour eight in, so we want to start winding down. But I want to make sure we we get to the the things that made you guys most happy about this movie or what you hated. I, I can shotgun a few, but BJ, why don't you go first? Sure. Um, I love every outfit change that Elizabeth Hurley has. Yes. Like, yes. Me too. Put her in she in the wharf. So She's oh my god. She is just a a, a dream in in this. Movie. Some of the. Uh, some of the uh, wardrobe was hers. Like when she's the teacher, that was her own wardrobe. She provided I'm it I'm not that, surprised that in any way, <laughs> shape, or form. Can you believe Hugh Grant gave that up? <sighs> a fool. A fool. What an <laughs> idiot. Um, <laughs> There's a, a wardrobe malfunction in this as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. I caught that. You mm-hmm. sent me a screenshot of it, and I totally noticed that too. <laughs> I don't know how she they left a, it in the movie. <laughs> she has a dress that's like slit at the leg up to her navel. Yes. And there's a point where she kind of like stands up really fast, and you can see... Yep. Everything. Everything's there. <laughs> um, I love the dolphin song. Um, <laughs> I I love how he committed to that character with the the freckles, the pasty skin, and like, the, the curly ginger oh, hair. God, I love it. The dolphin song, like, is one of those memories <clears throat> from childhood that, like, I don't know how to do taxes correctly. I don't know how to do anything. <laughs> but like two things that I will go to my grave knowing are the dolphin song and like Stick Stickley's address. <laughs> like those are the two <laughs> dumb things that my brain is like, this is vital. We're keeping it. Um, yeah. I had not thought about the dolphin song in 10 years or since it came out probably. And as soon as I heard it, I was like, fuck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's this so is awesome. Funny. <laughs> 
Um, and another big standout for me, I love this movie's version of God and how God is not this like all seeing, all powerful thing that like is too big for us to, to fathom. I love that God is as much like part of this machine um, in this world as the devil is, where it's this thing like devil's got you down. I'm here for you. And it's like, oh, I love this. What a great change. Well, yeah, also, that was like, cool. The that was God. And that was is cool his... to the point. This is a, a little abstract, but that, that scene was good to the point where uh, 20 years later, I saw that guy and I was like, I fucking, I remember him so vividly that I thought he was in a bunch of other stuff. And I was trying to like place him and he's, he's been in he's, like a few TV shows. He's not, yeah, I mean, he's, he's a like, consistently working actor, but he's not, um, he's not, he hasn't done any, like his next biggest project besides this one is he was just like one of the other soldiers in Black Hawk Down. Yeah. But he but, made an impression on me. Yeah. No, I remember as soon as he, I forgot about God in this movie, but as soon as I saw him in the cell, I was like, oh, that's right. God's in this. And yeah. then they have like a Professor X uh, Magneto moment at the end where they're playing <laughs> chess with each other. Um, yeah, that was but nice. I, I liked that where it's like in this, there's a friendship, like the devil and God go hand in hand and they they don't hate each other. They, they kind of, of like where... balance each other out, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And like, this is going to be really nerdy and dumb, but there's a play called JB. That's essentially like a retelling of the book of Job and the devil and God serve as these narrators and they treat the whole thing. Like they're, they're rival, like carnies basically. <laughs> and it's like rival carnies is a movie. I need <laughs> Yeah, they're like they're rival carnies, but like it's God and the devil, and then like in center ring is is Job, and that's kind of what this movie is doing. But I like that it's God is not like this infallible thing. It's like yeah, no, we kind of need the devil to exist in order to appreciate and you know whatever right. with God in the same sense that like God has to be there to you know, kind of pick you up when the devil's got you down. And I'm not a religious person at all. I look at this from like a purely like storytelling aspect. Right. And I think that that's really clever and very cool. Yeah. yeah and I, like, I think really they mentioned well this movie too, but like what is free will if we're not able to choose the the wrong choice? Right. And what I, what I like about that free will thing is, and I think you, that that's a really great point to bring up is um, God basically says like, dude, the soul's not yours to sell. But if you made this deal, like there's a way out. Like he essentially without telling me is like you could choose a different path Mm -hmm. and still be redeemed and be all right. And essentially what he had to do is just choose to be selfless. So when the seventh wish comes up, she forces him to take it and she's like sends him to hell. And he's like, she's like, wish your way out of this. And he's like, I just wish Allison to be happy. And that's how he gets out of it is making a selfless wish. And I obviously that would have never happened if he didn't have his conversation with God in jail. Elizabeth Hurley's um, disappointed eye roll as a 500 foot tall demon has stuck with me for decades. Oh, it's so good. Especially yeah. she's so disgusted yeah. and done with him. Just ugh. like what yeah. a great delivery. And mm-hmm. what's great. We didn't talk about this with the other movie, but it's 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 something that comes out in both movies and they and both leads explicitly say this like you are the best friend that I've ever had. You're the first person who's really ever understood me or ever gotten to know me. And in both versions the devil says you know what i i like you and they you you get that like you know the devil ultimately wants to mess things up but like clearly there are rules at stake where she she does like him like i get that she likes him and yet her job is ultimately to try to get his soul but she doesn't go out of her way to make it the worst thing possible like alex said some of these lives are downright livable like yeah 
the gay one, like I almost feel like it's just the uh, obviously There's he nothing has wrong the with that being, life except yeah. that he doesn't have the girl. That yeah, he and wants. they don't. Yeah, make he it just has seem the memories like of being a bad straight. Life either. Like yeah. they no. don't. It's not presented in this like <clears throat> this is the tragedy. It's just, oh yeah, okay, yeah, that's not what I wanted, but yeah, it's here yeah. it is. And that's only an issue because he has his. I'll call it Elliot prime memories. Like mm-hmm. he has that whole right. life's worth of memories, but he doesn't have that. Like, you know, maybe if he did what Alex said and he stayed for, you know, a couple of days or a week, maybe his memories would start to come in and he would come to like that life. I don't know. But, uh, that, that dream I thought was, uh, or wish I thought was, I laughed so hard when he brings Allison home and they're like kind of kissing and they go into the bedroom and his boyfriend's there. And the boyfriend is just like, I've had it. Oh, you've been drinking again. Like this has happened before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then Brendan Fraser is like, this is like stereotypical, but I still found it funny. But he's like, the boyfriend like quizzes him about Broadway and he knows it. And he's like, will you shut up, bitch? And I just like, it's so stereotypical. It's, it's I've, bad. But like, I laughed so hard at Brendan Fraser just yelling, bitch. I just did not expect that line to come from him, and I just it was taken back by it. But I I did laugh. That uh, that scene or that moment was um, really walking the line it, for me. Yeah, I, so, like, I the Brendan like... Fraser end of it and like the the concept of it, I guess, makes sense and I think sort of works in the movie. And the depiction of the boyfriend was like. The, uh, the boyfriend was a little so over the top. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. And that's I, the questionable aspect of it. But then I, again, this is like a holding two truth thing, where it's like, yeah. I know how we were presenting queer people in the year two thousand. Yeah, this is right. not wholly inaccurate. Offensive, yes. Inaccurate, no. Yeah. Well, and also when you look at it, like the women at the party were like egging Allison on to like go hit on him. So it's like I feel like this character's in the closet in that world. Mm. And so that is very much in line. And you also look at like, f- like Friends. Like Friends, I think is a funny show, but it definitely had some homophobic uh, things. Like the worst thing you could be in the, in Friends was like gay in that. Like mm-hmm. they were always you know criticizing each other if they did anything even a little gay. Scrubs, you know, that was a through line the entire series from two thousand one through two thousand nine. Even uh, if you look at um, Thirty Rock, which you know. <laughs> was mid 2000s and that was a pretty progressive show but still had some pretty homophobic stuff in the first couple of seasons so i i was i was watching jay and silent bob and um i came out around the same time i think that was 2003 or four yeah um, and he's just like piling on the the gay jokes throughout it and then at the end um he fly they fly into james vanderbeek and jason biggs's uh dressing room when they're breaking up the movie and Jason Biggs uh, keeps on saying like, oh man, that's gay. That's fucking gay. And James Vanderbeek just turns to him and is like, why is everything gay with you? Like, who cares? It's not a big deal. And I was like, oh wow, Kevin Smith is like having his cake and eating it too, I guess. Yeah. That's a pretty progressive uh, take in 2004 or whatever it was. Whatever year that was. Yeah. I think that, yeah. Yeah, I think that might've been like, oh yeah, between 2000 and 2004, because it definitely didn't come out when I worked at the movie theater. It, it was before there was a cultural uh, shift that calling something gay when you mean that it's that was a couple years cool. later because i remember in high yeah. school no that's what i'm my, saying it was before yeah because i graduated in 2006 and i remember when my my best friend um moved away our sophomore between our sophomore and junior year he moved away and moved to hawaii and then he came out and i remember people were still using gay just to say anything that was stupid was oh that's so gay and i remember like when i was a sophomore making the decision never to do that again 
and it was uh, very prevalent mm-hmm. during my high school. So, yeah, this this movie came out six years before even that point. So, yeah. it, it's very much and, a product of its time, and like you said, that too true thing. But it is it. I did feel bad laughing at it, but it was also just like this is a movie that I remember watching as a. This movie came out when I was twelve. And I remember thinking this movie was hilarious when I was 12. So part of it is nostalgia. But yeah, I think, like you said, you got to have your two truths and recognize what it is. But I think I think ultimately it's um, it's a pretty progressive. Yeah, I don't think it was malicious. Yeah, I don't think it is either. And one of the jokes in it that I think is really funny is I love Brendan Fraser's like realization of being gay and how a big part of it is him uh, knowing who starred in the pajama game because, (laughs) and also I always like, I culturally say pajama, but I've been in the pajama game where they like, like the director was like, no, like get the Chicago shit out of your mouth. It's pajama. Um, So the only time I ever say that correctly is when I'm specifically saying the pajama game. Um, That's so because like, that's also a movie uh, directed by uh, what's his nuts who directed the original Bedazzled, which I think is so funny. Like oh, um, cool. that's yeah. such a throwaway joke that unless you're a, yeah, a, a little homage. yeah, unless you're like a little dork or like the fact that um, like Elizabeth Hurley's dogs on the beach are named Dudley Peter. <laughs> like yeah. cute, so, love yeah, that. So good, Dudley Moore, yeah. Peter Cook. Yep. Yeah, that was great. Um, I don't want to keep on harping on it, but I felt like the. Uh, the thing that I really appreciate about the gay scene was that Elliot just like, uh, they didn't present it as him having a choice about being gay. Mm-hmm. He just was, and it wasn't going to work because that's who he was. Yeah. And he accepts so it. So ultimately I think that's the most, yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah, he just like, so I think that's the most like progressive. Yeah, He, he wasn't like, angry about it at all. No. He was just like, Oh, he like shakes her hand. He's like, well, yep. The thank you for, it's like, it's, it was like a job interview. Like, thank you for applying. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, there are other interested parties at this time. Uh, don't call us. Uh, we'll call you. Yeah. This didn't so, work. All right. Just to start wrapping. And, and I know this one, we didn't go into anywhere near as much detail on the jokes. Like we just kind of did the punchline for each one. Um, but, as he gets to the end of the movie, he he shows up at work and he is talking to Elizabeth Hurley through his computer and nobody like can see it but him. So he has like a meltdown, very public meltdown at his office. And like basically yeah. it's like it's like the end of um like half baked and waiting was like, fuck you, fuck you, you're cool, you're cool, <laughs> fuck you, I'm out kind of thing. But like he's definitely fired at the end yeah, of the Yeah, I was gonna say and, like, he has he has a public meltdown in his office. And then I think like the next day, right, he uh, is done with the wishes and the guy goes over and is like making fun of him, which and he just picks feels him very up. out of character for that guy. And then he grabs him. He like public, he uh, physically assaults this guy. He's definitely losing his job. Yeah. And everything. So like he is more confident and everything. And that's good. Yeah. And he yeah, does, but goes and shoots a shot. But yeah, it's like being confident it, is great, but you still can't put your hands on people mm-hmm. just because yeah, I they, agree. It, they very lightly insulted you when you've been tormenting them for weeks. Yeah. I agree with BJ. Like he's, um, he's very empathetic at the beginning and I think it's a better portrayal than the, the sad sack in the other movie. Um, but yeah, he's, he's, he's kind of a dick at the end of this one. A little and, bit. And I think it's another product of its time. Cause they're like, there's so many movies, um, like this in that era where there is the kid who's been picked on. And then at the end of the movie, they stand up to the bully and kind of thing. And I think that was like supposed to be that moment. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I don't know 
if that was necessarily earned. Like the the yeah, part exactly. of him going downstairs and talking to Allison and him realizing I don't know anything about this woman. I should get to know her before I become obsessed with her. I've been obsessed with her and know nothing about her. That felt yeah. like a good realization. It's the, weird how nuanced that moment is right. for the movie, for the voice of the movie, as opposed to moments before when they completely like change the um the character of these characters. Yeah. And then have Elliot assault them, which like doesn't um isn't like part I, of the, I honestly don't feel arc. like it was that far out of line for the quote unquote bully guy. Because like they they were being overtly rude to him, he just didn't realize it because he just had that desperate need to be liked. But I don't feel like where did that re- that realization come from from the lessons learned and the wishes? I think that he goes that like why did he realize like I need to stand up for myself and these people are mean to me? Like where was that realization and where did it come? I from? I think the spark comes from when he shows up late, which is completely out of character for him up until this point, and his boss is you know kind of railroading him about it and is like you know somebody with your social skills or social standing you can't afford to be like this and i think that's what that's the 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 spark that lights it because now yeah i guess i i I feel like maybe there was a scene edited out with the boss like or the boss probably like came at him for something else at the beginning of the movie that probably got edited out there was probably something with the uh friends that were or the co-workers that was edited out the not friends because that that part yeah. at the end seemed out of the blue, like that whole yeah, office yeah. scene at the end just didn't mesh with the rest of yeah. it. Yeah, and I do think that they were probably trying to chase, you know, the the finally standing up for themselves because he puts his hand on him, but he doesn't he doesn't fight him. You know, he just kind of like grabs the shirt collar and does like the nice talking to you, Bob. And it's in that moment yeah. where you're like, oh, you're exercising restraint, but like you you cross that line and you know it. But in a weird way, I also think it's this like leaving this environment, which is clearly not good for him. And like, right. He's kind of, bur- he's burning this bridge on his way out. Um, yeah. I think maybe that's what's being chased here, but yeah, it's, it's not, not his best moment, but ugh, he's, I think if, I think if there's a beat where we saw that he was leaving that company because it was a toxic environment for mm-hmm. him, then that would have uh, worked better for me. Yeah. yeah. I just you think I mean? like where he's maybe making a choice to leave with the thing with Allison, which we've already talked about it being nuanced. I feel like that's the lesson of all the wishes that she's interchangeable in each one. In every scenario, she could be a completely different person because it doesn't matter because he doesn't know them. And like mm-hmm. the, the coworkers throughout essentially because he knows them a little bit better, I guess like, you know, when he's the Colombian drug Lord, they're actively conspiring against him and, you know, you know, they kind of there's some snide remarks when they're the the basketball commentator. So I guess like if he recognizes them, like maybe that's where it comes from. But it's it's a lot less overt than his that that lesson with Allison. But it didn't bother me. I, I don't think it ruined it. But I just, I just feel like instead of grabbing the guy with two by his collar and lifting him up, I think he should have done the Bane hand. Just put it on his shoulder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm in control now. I'm yeah. kidding. That's terrible. <laughs> or even just had his moment where he's just like, you know what, assholes. All I've ever wanted to do is be your friend and you guys lied to me all the time. I'm fucking out. Boom. Like he could have even just said it. Like it, I, I I can see why you're, I, I didn't mind the the collar grab, but I, I, I do think it's out of character. I can see why. I want to nitpick for like 30 seconds, but my, I think my main issue is that the coworkers at the end don't feel um, like the same coworkers at the beginning. It feels like they amped up their bullying uh, so that they could give this moment to Elliot. Right. Because in the beginning, Elliot 
understandably in some ways, but also like he's offensive to Orlando Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's offensive, not racially, but he's offensive to the married guy as well. Mm-hmm. Like this guy makes it clear that Elliot makes this same joke to him almost every day. And every day the guy is like, I'm married. I have a, you know, I have a wife. And yeah. the way that moment felt to me was like, you're disrespecting me and you're disrespecting my wife by asking me every single day to go get uh, drinks and look at chicks. And you're right. like ignoring yeah, things that I'm fair. telling you. So I kind of, yeah, I, th- I felt like they dialed up the bullying. My issue is with the filmmaking, not, you know, yeah. these characters yeah, no, necessarily. I, I, I definitely think there's some some editing that was yeah. Uh, yeah. not done well. And then the very end of the movie, he realizes like Allison is like, hey, you know, I, I, I have a boyfriend. And he's like, oh, I had no idea. Well, of course, how the fuck would you know? Because you haven't taken the time to get to know her. Um right. But he's like, well, if that doesn't work out, like, call me. But then he shows up and he's got a new neighbor who's her. Mm -hmm. It's just with brunette, you know, brown hair. And then she's just like perfect. Like she's goofy and a little awkward, but also has the same interest in audio, you know, that he does. And it's like, that's a little weird. I didn't need her to be the same actor. No. I felt like that um, makes it like the important thing about the first uh, Allison, about the real Allison was that she like looks a certain way and it doesn't just doesn't need to yeah. be. In this it's movie. like, I don't, I, I'm sure you guys have both seen 500 days of summer. We're at the end of the movie. Like when you finally over, um, Zoe Deschanel's summer. character, um, God, I'm terrible. With name. I was, I was going to say her name first and now I can't remember it, but he finds autumn at the end yeah. of, uh, uh, Minka Kelly. And it's just like, it's another character that he like finds something like it. I think it would have been better to have another actress as somebody just yeah. showing like, He's moved on because like, it still feels a little creepy. Like oh, he's still into Allison and he's with her because of that. I think it's like a weird, I don't know. Maybe it's like a gift from, you know, God and the devil. God. Yeah. I think like that's really weird in terms of its storytelling aspects. But ultimately when I look at this movie, I am immediately transported into, I guess a lot of the social messaging that somebody like Elliot was probably being fed in terms of mm-hmm. how to be cool, how to make friends, how to do all these things, because the year 2000 is just such a toxic, cringy place to exist. It really is. Or was. We're not just talking about Britney Spears. Yeah, no, yeah. like just in general, I early in quarantine, I did an, a full rewatch of the Rock of Love series. Oh, God. And like... I hope you're writing an article I or something about that. I need to, because it is... Like when you need to get something out of that experience. When we talk about you know the world of like framing Britney Spears, we also need to look at like what were we saying like men should do that were yeah. that was cool, and it was like that cringe ass behavior Elliot has at the front, where this like pickup yeah. artist mentality, yeah. and it's it's very uncomfortable to watch. But at the same time, I have like this weird affinity and like comfort <laughs> from it of like oh thank. God, we're not there anymore. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, you look at that. <laughs> to be, era, to be clear, by the way, I was talking about the number one pop hit, Toxic, by Britney Spears. Was that's that also I don't true. think that was 2000, though. Yeah, that's that's a good song that was out around that you time. You were making yeah. two very good points at the same time. Um, but yeah, I mean, to your point, BJ, before we start wrapping it, like, you look at what was on MTV at the time. You had 
um, like Blind Date and all those like weird reality dating shows. Uh, next. Where it was yeah, very much Next that is stuff. basically like in real life Tinder. Next, yeah. And then you have yeah. <laughs> Room Raiders, which is I'm putting a black yeah. light to your bed, you gross pervert. <laughs> You're like, what? Yeah, super weird. Yeah, that's bad. Uh, we didn't talk about him being Lincoln, but I thought that was great how he was just super like. Once That's again, a fucked up like wish. What he remembers, he wishes to be the president, and so she puts him in That's, Lincoln's body, which. That's like, messed up. Does we that went this whole time without wish? talking about Brownface, too. Yeah. Yeah, what is the. <laughs> ugh. Um, but does that mean every wish, like he was just transplanted in somebody else? Like, was the gay man that he became, was like that another gay man, and he just took over that person's body, kind of like in Wonder Woman? I was about to say some real Wonder Woman. I think it's also shit. some like it, like another similar, but not like this is very heaven can wait down to earth almost. Oh yeah, where like the body you're in like belongs to somebody. Ooh yeah yeah. I think the the Lincoln one is the one that really fucks that up. I think for the other stuff, you could kind of. You don't have to think about it that hard because they're not a specific. He's not a specific person. Right, because every other one, his name is still Elliot Richards. Mm-hmm. But in that, like, he's yeah. a Lincoln. Yeah, that like, was obviously. I didn't want to be Lincoln. I didn't wish to be Lincoln. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're in a different time period. Yeah, that's another I thing. Like, that, but, like, the that's the only time he's it. transported in time. Yeah, when he opens up the champagne, think... he hears the pop. He's just like looking around, like. I think that they wrote like uh, a 15 page scene where Elliot was the president and there was a crisis in the Middle East and she was the secretary of state or something. And the producers were like, you know what? We got to cut that for time, man. All right. We will make him Lincoln. Yeah, probably. It's now a three. This movie scene. is also yeah. what taught me what play Lincoln was seeing when he was assassinated because I didn't know. <laughs> but for the rest of my life, I'll be like, our American cousin. <laughs> 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 all right awesome. well i think uh we we already pretty much said it at the top of the episode that this is an ideal remake i honestly was going into this expecting it to be at least the second one super cringy super dated i did not expect to enjoy it at all i thought it was gonna be bad but i i enjoyed it from beginning to end despite some you know hindsight showing that this isn't as uh wouldn't be as acceptable today as it was back then but uh it yeah, was good. I had a good time with it i had a good time watching both mm-hmm. Frankly, I think they could remake it now, too. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. There's, they could totally do this. And yeah. I, I I don't remember what it was that we did. We covered not too long. Oh, it was a Manchurian um, candidate we talked about. Like, you could easily do that every 10 years, and it would be yeah. a drastically different movie, and you could make it work. I, I do think that this is something you could do again. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, agreed. All right. So, BJ, if you can give us your plugs where we can find you on social media, talk about your podcast again, give us a the name and then uh, we'll also link all your uh, socials on the uh, episode description as well cool so you can find me on twitter and instagram it's just my name at bj colangelo um, and you can find our podcast also on twitter and instagram and wherever it is you get your podcast this ends at prom and it's you know an, an analysis podcast slash celebration podcast uh, on movies that are meant for teen girls and we you know we run the gambit everything from john hughes movies and you know gross out teen comedies in the 70s all the way up to you know the the cringy time capsule uh teen films of the 2010s excellent <laughs> yeah and uh alex where, where, where can our listeners find you uh as always i'm on instagram at dyslexic d-y-s alex i-c and i'm on uh twitter at polishi just my last name 
And you can follow along with the movies that I'm watching on Letterboxd at Palici as well. And you guys can check out everything that's MDX Pods related at mdxpods.com, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all at MDX Pods. If you want to support the show, you can check us out on patreon.com slash MDX Pods. But uh, thanks for listening. And BJ, thanks for, for coming on. Uh, those were yeah, great movies so to discuss. I'm really glad you picked these and I had a blast talking to awesome. you. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. And thanks for enjoying Elizabeth Hurley with me. <laughs> Always. <laughs> Always. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye.